that way, Robert, for the next nine days and come home with that kind of pants. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the hot tub right now. It's, it's, it's perfect. Yeah, you can see. <laughs> it's great. There oh, nice. is an old movie. It's a, uh, the movie is a uh, uh, Dean Martin and uh, Jerry Lewis movie. And Jerry was a, uh, a waiter at a very fancy hotel in uh, Miami. And some old lady had fallen to sleep with her face exposed. And so he was going to be very kind to her. And so he put her handkerchief over, his, over her face. Unfortunately, the, uh, uh, the handkerchief was a net, which meant that sunlight. And so when she came, <laughs> she, would, she had blisters that were all pokey dot all over her face. She couldn't tolerate it having oh, a no. face. But a pokey dot, and that's why I'm reminded of the tan that you're going to get if you fix that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be tiger striped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, that's it, wonderful. Uh, the problem with that is, though, is that because of the movement of the sun, that that the uh, uh, the shading that you have is far, farther enough away. So that the angles will change with the sun, unlike having a, a cloth right <laughs> on the face. Right. <laughs> Perfect. So it, anyway, uh, we has gotten started uh, talking about power, <clears throat> and power is actually a very good topic to speak on. The reason that people want power. Is because of fear. People want not real power, they want safety and security. And in our society, one of the ways that the bullies and the preachers and all have been teaching is, is that in order for you to feel safe and comfortable, you've got to have power. <clears throat> if you want to be safe from the cops, your daddy's got to own them. You know, that kind of idea. And so this is where the idea of power comes from. And you can see that way in ancient times when villages were just getting started. And one guy in that village wants everything everybody else has got. So he goes and takes it away from them. And everybody else is afraid of him. So they want power in order to oppose him don't like the fact that he'll just come in and take your wife, take your house, or take whatever he wants, because they didn't have any police way back when. And so this whole idea of power makes me safe is part of the education that we have been passing down well before Roman times, well before actual civilizations. And in fact, civilizations were built upon power because the people who wanted the power felt unsafe because other people wanted power. Now, here's the problem with power is, is that once you get it, it doesn't protect you because once you have it, someone else wants it and is going to come get it from you. And therefore, you're going to remain unsafe. Right. So power doesn't make us safe. And the Buddha points this out. 
that power does not make one safe. And yet our whole society is built upon, you've got to have the power. They sing the songs. It's in the lyrics. It's in the society itself. You got to be big and strong and bully. You can't back down. No, this is just built right into our whole way of living, not recognizing that, in fact, the underlying um, assumption that is made is me and others. The outsiders, the ones who have power. And we never think about it in the sense of us. Oh, my wife's just over at his house. She'll be back. Mm -hmm. right? So we begin to think this way. This is Nama thing. Nama is actually a social of sharing among friends. Unfortunately, it doesn't work in big items. It only works on local items. When I say local, let us say perhaps in the level of maybe 400 or less. 50 would be even better than 100. 25 would be possibly ideal as the society that you live in where you know everyone by name and by sight. And basically, you know everything he owns. Because he stays at your house half the time. Okay, so this is the idea of community, a commune, is where people live together and share together. That's not so easy to have a commune between Moscow and Kiev. Yeah, too far apart. That's where we begin to see other. So Veda, go ahead, you've got your hand up. Uh, so if I understand that correctly, I mean, it's, <clears throat> I'm already at the point where I see that it's just uh, rolling the Dhamma we talk about just in different perspectives and uh, <laughs> encouraging the Sankaras to subside. This is one thing and the other thing is um, the magical thinking in this. Is just another way to stack up your power, make people want something they didn't even thought about in the first place. Absolutely. So that delusional thinking, that magical thinking compounds on top of itself over and over. The very basic mistake that is made is power will make me feel safe. And they're looking where we go with that. I mean, mm -hmm. what kind of power? You've got magical powers, you've got uh, 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 spiritual powers, you've got uh, uh, financial powers, you've got weightlifting powers, you've got martial arts powers, you've got gun power. I mean, look at all the different places people go to get power just so that they'll feel safe. The power of seduction. Right again, there it is, <clears throat> right taking mm. power over someone by seducing them, either to get their money or their panties, one or the other, it doesn't much matter so long as you have the power. Mm. Robert, you got a question? Yeah, a, a couple of comments. One is it reminds me of 
um, one of my favorite uh, writers, he's, uh, he's quite libertarian, and he said, at the family level, he's a communist. At the community level, he's a socialist. At the city level, he's a conservative. At the state level, he's a, um, he, or no, wait, at the city level, he's a liberal. At the, at the state level, he's a conservative. And at the national level, he's an anarchist. <laughs> okay. You know, and I think that's how a lot so of people he see it. And then he looked at that. Mm-hmm. That, in fact, the level yes. of organization that you're at really does determine. That, in fact, it's really uh, the, the easier it is to do, the more likely it's going to be community by getting along with your family. Which in Thailand means that it doesn't even matter who's riding whose motorbike. And in fact, the example of that is because the uh, motorbike needed the pickup to bring it to um, South Thailand from Nakhon Phanom, Hom left his car with his dad and took his dad's truck to South Thailand. That's what we can yeah. do in a community. But I don't think that Putin is going to be loaning his tanks to uh, 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 Vladimir Lezinsky, or starts with a Z. Uh, Zelensky. Zelensky. So, mm-hmm. Right. So that, that level that we're on has a lot to do with it. And so what we want to do in our own mentality is beginning to think about it at the what level. That would be uh, big enough. We, we wouldn't think of it as the entire Sangha, say, in the, in the nation of Thailand. It's certainly not the entire nation of Thailand. But within a particular what, it can be, and in fact is intended to be, community. One of the ways that that scene is that monks do not buy and sell, especially to each other. So, if a layman gives their favorite monk a new cell phone, then that old cell phone will go to some monk at the watch that doesn't have a cell phone. Why is that? Well, the main thing is because cell phones are not part of the forbidden items in the city. (laughs) Nor are laptops. But a better example of this is that there was a walking stick that Achan Vikabudadasa had, and that stick got started to be handing, handed around. So that one monk would have it for a while, and then he would give it to another monk, and they would have it for a while. And then, I mean, that walking stick had 8, 10, 12 people. <laughs> Almost to the point that it gotten forgotten who was the original dude with that walking stick. So, uh, but that walking stick was never sold. It was given. It was given as a special gift. So this is the way that we think of it at the level where we can deal. Because that's in fact the level that every human being deals. If Putin knew how to deal with his family correctly, then he would know how to deal with his inner group. And then Mm. he would know how to deal with the military. And then he would know how to deal with foreign countries. So it all starts at home. Right back to how do we treat ourselves? 
what kind of power trip are we on? Because in fact, many of us are on a power trip to make ourselves better. And how we do that is by punishing ourselves. Oh, you're not good enough. Oh, your mind has wandered away from your breath. You're not good enough. Mm. Or it's too hard and we start to complain. Anytime that we're complaining, what that means is, is that the actual victim, the one who's actually being punished, is ourselves. We feel like we have been beaten down and trotted upon wrongly, and so we complain to some magical creature in the sky who has the power to make us feel good. So we complain. And here the students are complaining about their meditation, and doesn't make any sense. They're harming themselves. What they need to do is rehabilitation. That's the key word. The difference is between re, uh, um, rehabilitation and punishment. And our society is built upon punishment. Why? We want to make somebody afraid enough to do what they're told to do. That way I have the power. So if you don't do what I tell you to do, I come and hurt you, and then you will do what I tell you to do. And so that mm. whole system is built upon. It's not built upon uh, um, nourishment or uh, camaraderie or rehabilitation. It's built upon a punishment model. And in fact, that punishment model is very, very, very old. It goes all the way back, well before the time of the Buddha. Then, in fact, the Buddha had to deal with this thing. That in Christianity, it's all wrapped up in heaven and hell. But in Hinduism, it has to do with if you do the right thing, you'll get a good result. And if you do a bad thing, you'll get a bad result. This is the law of karma, right? Based upon power. And so the idea is, oh, I'm going to get my power by doing a good thing, and then I'll get a good result. That's what they're trying to teach, as opposed to, oh, I'm going to go get power directly and harm people to get it, but I'll be okay. I can get away with it. And so the teaching of Kama is, no, you can't get away with it. Well, every kid knows that you can get away with it. All you have to do is not get caught. <laughs> Full circle now. All you have to do is hide it and, and, you know, just steal it and hide it. And then you don't get caught, mostly, until they do. And so what the real teaching of karma is when it becomes really powerful, when it becomes part of a religion, is, is that all. You may not, you may think that you can get away with it now, but sooner or later, really later, you're going to have to fess up. You're going to have to get caught. There's going to be a judgment day for you. The common machine is going to dig you up out of the ground just to beat your ass. And that's the magical thinking that comes with the power trip about getting other people to do what they're supposed to do according to whoever's making the rules in the moment. So that leads us to the golden rule. 
the first golden rule is the rule that we have to understand that it was the teaching of Jesus. Now, I don't think Jesus talked about gold because gold itself has got to have some power. What they really are talking about is a really, really valuable rule to treat other people the way that you be treated. You don't want them to run their power trips on you, so don't go running your power trips on other people. That's the real point about it is is to to learn to get along. Now, Buddhism is a little bit more sophisticated than that. In Mm. the sense of Buddhism, it's don't treat people the way that you want to be treated. You treat people the way that they want to be treated. A really good example of that is it's Christmas time and hubby and wife get each other gifts. Hubby gets his wife Eastman and a pair of panties and the wife gives her husband a teapot and a kettle and a toaster. Right? And the other way around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so they're not going to be happy until they trade gifts. <laughs> So but they don't. They don't trade gifts. They, they don't. They, they, just <laughs> <laughs> they just present it. So, uh, <clears throat> what I did then is these power trips that we run have that idea of the golden rule, especially when we actually understand what is the golden rule. And the golden rule, the one that starts it off, is that whoever's got um, the rules gets the gold. Whoever makes the rule, in other words, whoever is on a power trip is going to structure the rules so that he gets your money. But then it becomes more sophisticated later. And that is, is that whoever gets the gold now in future generations is the one who makes the rules. And he makes the rules so that he can get more gold. So that's the real golden rule is he who's got the gold makes the rules. <laughs> Why? Because the gold itself is powerful. So when we recognize that we actually run those power trips on ourselves, oh, you've got to go get an education. Oh, you've got to go get this. Oh, you've got to go get that car. You've got to go show your self-powerful. you got to go buy a gun, an AR-15. Great, big, shiny bullets. Mm. And so many magazines, and then to prove how much power you got, you walk into the school and kill four or five dozen children just to prove how powerful you are and how pissed off you are. So this is the kind of society that we've built just based upon power. And that power has to do with punishment. Power and punishment are so wrapped up together because he who makes the rules makes the rules in order to punish other people for competing with him. And you see every politician, every very wealthy man, every one of them like that are trying to use their wealth in order to bend and twist the rules into their favor so that they take some advantage. Knowing that that's the basis of the society, we have to also understand that that's the society that we were brought up in, that we do that. This is, this is me we're talking about, and everybody could say that. 
but this is a me in there that is greedy, wanting power, wanting to hold um, that thing for protection. Now, the Buddha is saying, let's turn that all around and recognize that if you feel safe and secure, then what kind of power do you need? If you feel safe and secure, you don't need any power because the power was always because we were already afraid of perhaps somebody that did have power. And so we want to go get power to compete with them. And the reality is, is that we can begin to control our own fear. In fact, every one of you are doing that right now. Carl turned his camera off. That's how we help him control his fear. Robert's got a stogie. And everyone is in a private place. Maybe Carl's outdoors, but he feels secure there. But I tell you what, we wouldn't be having this conversation with someone online if we were at the police station or in the courtroom. Because we don't feel <laughs> secure there. Okay, so <clears throat> if we understand that we can control our fear by avoiding fearful things, then the only fear then that we have to really deal with is the old fear, the habit fear that we keep around inside of our own mind. This is then that Sankara, we, are, we built up a whole pile of fear. And at every and any opportunity, we'll jump right into that fearful state, having a panic attack, feeling anxiety, feeling restless, feeling like we got to go do something. The things are not safe and secure right here, right now. They're not good enough. We got to go get fixed. And I've got the power to go fix it. So. <laughs> Another way of looking at it is, is that if we can physically find a place that's safe and secure, then why do we go to that safe and secure place and continue to feel afraid? Why don't we actually, <laughs> with wisdom, recognize in this moment that I'm actually safe and secure? This is part of the teaching of the gladdening of the mind, to take these unwholesome thoughts that lead to fear out of the mind and replace them with safe and secure, wholesome and happy thoughts. This is the practice of Anapanasati, is to come out of that stupid dukkha of fear and be happy. Don't worry about whatever it is that you're terrified of enough to make you worry. And just be happy instead. The things are already okay. That almost everything that could possibly go wrong is not going to go wrong right now. It's off into the future someplace. And who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows the future? And yet here we are planning on all the terrible things that could happen off in the future. That our whole society, especially the American society, and the Germans are really big on this too. It's let's get it right so we don't have to do anything. Let's do it absolutely correctly. Guess what? There has never been a Mercedes that's been built in Germany that did not need maintenance. 
It's it's uh, clinging to Murphy's law outcome syndrome. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <clears throat> and and the way to recognize it is to see our own field, see what triggers that, and then recognize that we can take control over our fear without having to go out there someplace to get some power for protection. that we can find that protection within our minds because we were able to get ourselves into a safe house. We can get our body into a safe place that we can get our mind into a safe place too. And that's by practicing, practicing feeling safe, practicing feeling comfortable, practice feeling secure. So when a thought of danger pops up and you recognize that that's a thought about something that's dangerous, oh my goodness, what would happen if I didn't pay my taxes? <laughs> or oh no, what's going to happen when the, the battery in the car goes flat or whatever like that. And so we're constantly going around doing preventive maintenance just in case something goes bad. All we have to do is to recognize I can sit down, take a deep breath, and relax. Because there's really nothing worth fear. Nothing is worth being afraid of. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. 99% of all the stuff that could go wrong in your mind didn't go wrong after all. Is it okay if I ask a question? Sure, go right ahead. You got your arm up for so. Uh, so, <clears throat> from the beginning, from the first call uh, that I called in uh, with you guys, you talked about putting down personality view, putting down the the, the flags the shield and so on and so on. And if I mm -hmm. understand you correctly, the methodology or the didactic, the correct one would to, to take what is, what is given and use it to transform it into something that is immediately satisfying as you uh, always mm -hmm. repeat. And then just right. the, the transmission point is, is, I have to do it first. I have to be the one that is able to do it first and then it can spread. Everything else is just putting something uh, shiny onto a pile of, you they, know. They, that is wisdom talking. Yes, everything starts in the mind. Everything starts there. If you can build safe, secure and community feelings and thoughts, then that will spread to others around. But we have to start at home by taking care of the business of figuring out that we're safe, that things are not dangerous, that there's going to come a time when you get sick, but it's not dangerous. There's going to come a time when you die, but it's not dangerous, unless you hate it happening. If you can get your mind into the position of it's okay to die, 
I mean, people do it all the time. No one survives life. Every one of us dies. So we can come to the point of not being afraid of death. In fact, the Buddha had a whole bunch of stuff, and we've got some new things that will help us not being afraid of death. Because, in fact, if you're not afraid of death itself, what could possibly go wrong? That's the big one. I mean, the, the very, very rich man that has billions and billions of dollars doesn't care about any of that money when he's taking his last breath. I have a funny That's joke it. from... Uh, uh, you are? Uh-oh. And I've been talking about uh, it, and here you are. Didn't help, did it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're going with I'm afraid. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> okay, so there is a joke. Um, Louis C.K., you know, very famous comedian, he said about marriage, he said, why would anyone want to do something that 50% of the time ends in death and the other 50% of the time ends in divorce? Or failure, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, actually, if you look at the, uh, the old laws in California, this was a big deal. In the 1950s, uh, a divorce laws and community property and other things like that made the uh, divorce rate or the divorce so difficult to get that many, they just go ahead and kill the spouse rather than getting the divorce. And the government knew that. And so they changed the laws on divorce. And guess what? In California in the late 1950s, the, the murder rate dropped in half. Desperate housewives. Desperate housewives. <laughs> They get desperate. That's right. Why? Because there's no way out and they feel trapped. But it's only a matter of attitude. They weren't really trapped. The trap that they were in was their own mind, thinking that they couldn't get out. And they could have enjoyed their husband instead. <laughs> they could have enjoyed having him around. Treat him like a pet. Beat him a bone or two. Yeah, something similar happened in... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, that, the, the point that we're making here is that it always starts within our own mind. And if we take the right effort, we can make that change. And the change that we make is to get ourselves into a state of feeling safe and secure. That we, in fact, nurture ourselves into that place rather than being critical. So critical thinking versus nurturing thinking is exactly the point about the difference between punishment and rehabilitation. That punishment is not designed to make things better. It's designed to make you feel bad enough so that you will do what you're told to do. And so we're, we, we've got all of that stuff piled up. We've got every one of us has a great big long line of shoulds, woulds, coulds, rules, things you're supposed to do. How dare you be fat? You're not supposed to need glasses. What, you go to a dentist? You've got perfect teeth. You can't go to a dentist. You might find something you don't want to know about. Mm -hmm. And if you folks around enough, it might hurt. Okay, so this is the whole idea that we have is that we're supposed to be something that we're not. And that's supposed to be almost always as a pretension 
to have power that we really don't have. And we want to pretend to have that power because that absolves us of the fears that we have. Instead of dealing with the fears directly, we lie to ourselves about it. Just like we tell the children, oh, we'll write a letter to Santa Claus. Make you feel better. But you can't have what you want. And so uh, this promise of something better always winds up being uh, delayed gratification. That you have to endure the fear now, but soon enough, later someday, you'll get the things that you need in order to feel safe and secure. You'll get a raise. You'll buy a house. You'll get a wife. You'll get a Mercedes. You'll get a Toyota. You know? Mm -hmm. You'll get, for some grandmothers, they'll get a yard full of grandkids. That'll make them feel safe. Right? Whatever you think is going to make you feel safe is almost always delayed out there in the future. And who knows what the future is going to be. And so we delay our gratification, which is actually going to make us feel secure. And the teachings that we're practicing here is the teachings of go get your benefits right now. If you feel insecure, go do what we need to do to make you feel secure right now without having to go get some power someplace. That's the whole idea of the teaching. It's about dukkha, dukkha, naroda when you see it. Just like, don't worry, be happy. It's kind of like an immediate thing. Just stop the worry and you can be happy right now. Let's stop the worry. Let's recognize that our thoughts are worrying thoughts. And when we have worried thoughts, then we're not satisfied. When we feel safe and comfortable, we can feel satisfied. And then we don't want anything. Almost always when we want something, it's in order for us to make us feel better because otherwise we're insecure and not good enough without it. So I see that fancy automobile in the showroom and now all of a sudden I want it really badly because I know that I'll be better off. I'll be more safe, secure. I won't have to work so hard to get the chicks. You know, all of that kind of mentality comes in. To where, in fact, I don't need anything other than to feel safe and secure and comfortable and satisfied. Which, by the way, those four items are part of the definition of sukha, which is the exact opposite of sukha. Safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied. Because if you are, in fact, safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied, then where's your dukkha? If you're uncomfortable, we know where your dukkha is. If you're dissatisfied, we know where your dukkha is. If you feel unsafe and insecure, we know where your dukkha is. But if you feel safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied, where's the dukkha? Robert, where's the dukkha? <laughs> Nowhere. Um, I have a question. It's a little bit off topic, but I, it's a question that's been bothering me a couple of days. We so, beat this one to death already. I mean, I'm so afraid that I don't have anything else yet to say. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> so 
<laughs> wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, so I have two family members, Domerado, probably guess which ones, um, that are having a hard time getting along, and it'd be great benefit uh, to our family if they did get along. So my approach has been strengthening my relationships with both of them. Um, and helping them feel safe and secure with me so that they can eventually get along, hopefully at some point. And I'm okay. curious to hear your thoughts on this approach and what to do when you're in this kind of a situation. I would say that you're doing exactly the right thing. That you, in order to bring these two together, you've got to be in the middle of them to where both of them, that you make each one of them, both of them, feel safe and secure. And in fact, what you're talking about, the difference between a daddy and a wife, is exactly the difference between uh, an old matron dog of, of 9, 11 years and the puppy. It's the same issue. And I handle it the same way. I stand between them. And then the puppy feels secure, and so does the old dog. But if I don't stand between them, then they're insecure. The big dog growls, the little dog uh, uh, whimpers and whines and then sucks up and then the big dog really gets pissed off. Hmm. You can see that we, got I it. know where humans got their behavior. <laughs> yeah. You got it from the other mammals, he has rubbed off. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so the question now is uh, the next step of how are you going to get them into the same room with each other so that they're on opposite sides of the room and you're sitting in the middle? And how can you help each one of them feel safe and secure? That's the only thing. Because if they both feel safe and secure with you, don't uh, tip the cart by trying to get them together. Because if you try to get them together, they will see you as siding with the other one. Right. Now, here's how that happens. Think of two extremes. You have this extreme over here and this extreme over here, and you wind up being in the middle. Okay, when this person looks in that direction to see that extreme, all they see is you. And when this person over here looks at this extreme, all they see is you. And that's why you wind up being an enemy for both of them, because each one of them will put you in the other camp because of their fear. Right. So when you're talking about getting between them, we're not talking about in the sense of trying to get them together, but in the sense of letting them feel secure while they're around you. Whether they get that security enough to where they feel comfortable with each other is up to them. Right. But, but when you're in conversation alone with them, when they talk about the other, the way to do it is to tease them. Like he's a, he's a vicious gorilla. Oh, he's an old wuss. <laughs> she's a catty little bitch. Oh, she's just trying to get your attention, you know. So you downplay whatever they hate about each other. 
Make a joke out of it. Got it. Okay. Beta, you got your hand up. So, <clears throat> bringing it back to the delayed gratification process that mm -hmm. we, if, if I live in a society where I learn that this is, uh, on the one hand, a, a thing to con control me, and on the other hand, a thing most people don't really do. It's, 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 uh, it's subliminal. They control you with this for them in the long, in the long term, but they control you immediately with short term gratification. Mm -hmm. So I have to look for the hindrances that obstructing that I can accept the process of delayed gratification for something positive on my side. If I'm, if I am using the Dhamma I learn here for whatever it is uh, in, a, in, in a way that I can accept that the gratification is not immediate in a, in a sense of it's immediate for me. But if I want to change something in the outside, for example, like uh, Robert, uh, uh, um, I don't want to use the word trying because trying is a, is a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> in quotes. Um, I've got a little joke about that. Yeah. Let me put it in. Mm -hmm. The wife says, how is this coffee I'm I'm trying? I got some new coffee I'm trying. And the old grumpy husband says, your coffee is always trying. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what, right, okay. How, how do I change the perspective? Well, it's got two different definitions to it. Mm. Mm. One definition is working really hard and failing. And the other one is playing with it as a toy. Your choice. Most people try because it's important that they need it done and they're uh, feeling unsafe and insecure. That's why they really want it. And so they're really trying hard. Also, they may have the attitude that they're not going to get it anyway, but at least if I show how hard I tried, maybe they'll give me uh, a freebie. Mercy. Something like that. I'll go ahead and take your base. I know that you've missed every ball, but go ahead and take your base anyway. This is what it's all about in the sense of getting away with it. So people who play the try game are trying to get away with it. They're trying to fail and that it's okay that they fail. So that's one kind of try. The other one is just merely playing with, well, let's see what this doll like looks like without her arms and legs. I'm gonna try that one. <laughs> I think you've all closed it. Mm. No, no, I'm moving. Okay. <laughs> I... <laughs> okay uh... So you see that there's two definitions of the word try. So now that we've gotten that by, what, <laughs> what are you this... trying? There is a process of figuring out or a, 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 um, putting this into practice because if, if there is no attachment point from which 
the 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 conditionings that are mostly present uh, can can attach to and go like in a checklist from one to two to three to four to five to six. It's it, it's so it's so difficult in a way to 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 change this mode, you know. This that that's the that's the thing I see again and again and again. It's just this moment where where you where where things happen. Okay. Things just All happen. Right. And you say that it's hard. Another way of saying it is much more positive. Hard means that you failed it. Another way that you can say it is that I don't understand it yet. It's complicated, but I'll get it. I'll figure exactly. it out. Exactly. That's the yeah. attitude that we want to have. It's the attitude of I can figure this out. I do not have to go as a failure and suck up and get the prize anyway. We're not looking for consolation prizes. We're not looking for any prize at all. We're looking for having fun. <laughs> yeah, of course. Ah, this oh. this greed, this greed, this greed, this greed, this greed, greed, greed. I want, greed. I want, I want, I want. Uh, I said I want it. I have to have it. And you can see how subtle, how it subtly influences our life way too much it's it happens subtly just like an example would be on a pistol a revolver especially one from the old west they called a hair trigger okay got the springs file down or stretched or whatever like that and so it's a hair trigger it takes very very little mm -hmm. effort to pull that trigger but that pulling of that trigger can set off a series of events that will start a war. We know of that. In fact, the stories is about just a little pull of the trigger beside a carriage started World War One. Mm -hmm. Duke of Austria caught that bullet. <laughs> and all it took was just a little finger tug. If we can understand that, then we can understand how powerful the mind is because that trigger wouldn't have gotten pulled unless the mind was pulling the trigger. And I wish the gravitas, I wish the gravitas of all those things would be easier to grasp, easier to implement. Because if this is a visceral feeling, you don't think about this. It's, it's just, it's just, no, I, this is not even occurring to me to uh -huh. get near That's that trigger. Right. I agree. We have to keep looking at this. We have to keep thinking about it. We have to keep remembering to look at what the mind is doing. And when we get into the habit of looking what the mind is doing, it winds up being very interesting. In the beginning, when we start looking at what the mind is doing, we hate it. We don't like what the mind is doing. But as we begin to look at it more and more, we begin to really enjoy the fact that, hey, we've got a human mind here to play with. This is a marvelous little toy. Yes, Robert. Yeah, one thing I noticed, you know, pretty recently in the last few weeks is that when I'm desiring or wanting something, it's like my consciousness constricts to that thing. It just really focuses on whatever that thing is, and it's a smallness. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And well, those the feeling of smallness, and when I... ...the hand, we actually 
do that inside the mind. And the whole point of this meditation practice is, is to open the mind beyond those things that we want, beyond those things that we're afraid of. So yes, you're exactly right. right. When you're when you want something, right. focus on it. Right. There is a tightness, and when I don't want anything, um, and I'm enjoying the moment, uh, there's a feeling of vastness. You know, there's a yeah. feeling. It's a very big feeling. And the wanting is a very small feeling. And there's like a tightness, like your whole nervous system tightens up when you're desiring. Uh-huh. And the funny part about it is the bigger the item, the more important it is to us, the tighter we get. Right. And it's funny because I used to I used to think that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, when we I was just going to make the, the end of the statement was but when we don't want anything then that tightness subsides and we wind up being expansive instead that anything yes. comes is okay rather than saying no to all of that i'll only say yes to this one little thing that i've got on my mind right hundred percent and um and, and it's funny because, you know, the second noble truth is desire is the root of suffering, or tanha is the root of dukkha. Um, well, actually, is ignorant. really a... You can want something wisely. Ignorance is the big turd. Ah, we don't okay. know. Okay, so you can want something, and you are uh, in a normal state of mind about it, you know that you want it, et cetera. Everybody will talk about it. Yeah, I do want that thing. But we don't really understand it at the depths of how dangerous that is to put ourselves into a state of wanting. Okay, so this is right. what we're looking at now, is looking at what this does to the mind. And that's when the real delusions are right. abandoned, is because we can see the effects that this has. The Buddha talks about it. You heard me speak on this about the gratification, the dangers, and the escape. In the beginning, every ordinary person sees what they want and they can see the gratification in getting it. But they don't right. see the dangers in either wanting it or and not getting it or wanting it and getting it. You know, they sometimes say, be careful of what you want. You might get it. <laughs> and then you're really going to be in trouble. They talk about right. it, the dog get uh, what is what happens when the dog catches the bus? He's going to get drug all over town. That's what's going to happen when the dog catches the bus. And the only way he can stop is by <laughs> letting it go. So you're exactly right. Right, that for sure. Tank gets really tight. Yes, and I see why you use the word uptight when you have a student mm -hmm. I, I understand that better for sure and you know it's funny in zen and you know i've been reading a lot of zen recently um they talk a lot about the vastness of mind and you know and i understood that from the perspective of the mystical experience but now i understand it more from the sense of the mundane and or the supra mundane i should say <laughs> and that's a really beautiful understanding to gain but um, 
But I would say too, what's so funny about the the ignorance and the craving is it can be so subtle and you can feel totally justified in whatever it is you want. You know, like you can say, I really right. want these two people to get along. And, and you can say the Dhamma says they should get along. You know, it'd be great if they got along. There's really good, wholesome reasons for them to get along. But as long as you're in that state of tightness, you're going to have a much uh -huh. harder time of getting them to actually That's get right. along. So long as you want them to get along, then that makes the tightness. That's why the yes. other will see, I mean, they'll both see you as on the other person's side, so long as you want that person, each one of them, to do something. Right. Okay. So she will say, oh, you're ganging up with your dad to make me be friends with him. And dad says, oh, you're ganging up with her to make me feel, to make me, <laughs> you see? Yep, so, yep. That's exactly so what's happened. Stop wanting them to get together and just enjoy the show. Enjoy the game. Fiddle with it like a toy. Right. <laughs> try to get them together. Make sure, though, that each one of them feels safe and comfortable when they're around you. Right. That's the way to do it. But if you want them to get together, believe me, you'll find some way to screw it up. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you know what's funny? Uh, um, a recent analogy from the news was when uh, Putin was preparing to invade Ukraine and uh, Macron was going over there and trying to talk him out of it. You know, mm -hmm. and Macron came away from the whole thing not looking very good. You know, and I think it's partly because he was so desperate to get a positive outcome that it, it turned off Putin. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that's the danger. That's exactly the same thing. This is the same story exactly. Don't try to get her to be friends with your dad. She'll be sent. And don't right. try to get him to get along with her. He'll resent it. You just have fun. And in right. fact, when they verbally attack each other at a distance, you could just enjoy the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, great. If, do we have anything else? This has been a very interesting talk about power. Because power is at the base the really deep base of all psychological stuff that we're dealing with is fear. If you can get yourself into a state of feeling safe and secure, then the rest of it's easy. So we have to practice that. Why? Because you've been practicing feeling unsafe and insecure for years. Now yeah. it's time to actually feel safe and secure. And then you don't need any power, or that's power enough. The confidence of being safe and secure is your real power. The silent power. The power that you don't have to suck up to anybody because you're not afraid of them. If I use a bridge, like an intellectual understanding of, uh, of it, in, com in, in combination with looking, what is obstructing me right now? 
okay, it's greed or it's uh, fear or it's hatred or it's delusion or and so on and so on. This is really, this is really for me, this, this key thing. If I can see this, ah, of course, and Actually, what a relief the Dharma yeah. is. It really it shows it says, Oh now I know that yeah. well, I've got to do. I just have to keep doing it. <laughs> why why is why is this part of the nervous system doing this? Stop. This is this is unwholesome. Stop you were it. trained by the society. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you were yeah, trained yeah. to do that. That's what our societies are for, is to train up a child in the way he should go. And if he don't, we'll beat his ass. What would be the king's method, or I don't know if this is the right translation, what would be a, a, the, the golden path, so to speak, for a, a pra practitioner to, to really pay homage to this lineage? I think that too many ordinary people are paying way too much homage to the Buddha. I mean, they bow and they scrape and they chant and they do all kinds of things. You'd be surprised at how devoted people can get because of the teachings being so valuable. That's not the right way to do it. It's almost like gold. You've got a bar of gold. In fact, I've got a better story. This one's a real story. When I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, in the fourth grade, I went downtown because my mother walked work downtown, and there was this one store that had a very special chess set. It had green velvet and brown, and the uh, one side of them, the white side was all golden, and the other one was a dark mahogany, and it was beautifully done. It was very much like what you would see as army soldiers and a little uh, kit where every figure was about this high, and it was beautifully done. And I wanted that thing so bad, and my mother actually got it for me, I remember. And that chess set was so valuable to me that I actually learned how to play chess because of the chess set. But the point that I'm making is, is that chess set was so valuable, I kept it in its original box on a shelf and didn't use it. It was too valuable to use. I couldn't use it. It was too good. Okay? We do that with stuff. Now I have a, uh, a little plastic Asian chess set it's in a little bag. The board, in fact, is nothing more than a piece of paper. And it's sitting in there in the closet, just like you got the other chess set when I was 10 years old, except that this one is in the closet because it's not worth anything to me. It means nothing. So one, the very, very valuable, beautiful chess set stayed in the closet because it was too valuable. Now the new chess set stays in the closet because it doesn't mean anything. It's got no value. <laughs> <clears throat> okay so if we begin to recognize that oh but the difference between those two chess sets was merely in my attitude that was the only thing that was there and when we recognize it that way we can say oh we should start paying close attention to our thoughts 
We need to look closely. We need to remember to investigate this stuff to see where is the fear? Where is the delusion? Where is the ill will? What are the things that we don't like? Why do we not like them? What can I do to be okay with things? And to recognize that you have full control once you take control. But you gotta take control. You can't let that stuff be on automatic pilot anymore. So we have to start practicing to remember, to look at what we're doing, to wake up, because then we can make a change. And if you can make a change, you can change it to feel the way you want to feel rather than the way that you're in the habit of feeling. You can literally talk yourself into feeling good. You've been talking yourself into feeling bad all your life. Now it's time to talk yourself into feeling good. I don't see it as an endeavor. I, I, it's like, it's like. <clears throat> A toy to play with. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 not only a toy to play with. It's it's just uh, of course there. Yeah, there is a there is some kind of want. There is some kind of want. I want other people to experience uh, what what I experience with this practice. In an in an this the is way stated, to start this stated in that, an, in an ordinary first, way. The first gift you give them is the smile. The first gift that you give is the gift of feeling safe around you. That you don't want anything from anybody. That you're there just to feel good. You don't even want them to feel good. You're having too much time feeling good that you don't even want them to feel good because if you want them to feel good, they'll think you want something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And they're afraid. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. So this is how you begin to spread the Dhamma, is by showing with your smile, showing with your attitude that you feel safe and secure and you don't see anything that needs to go get taken care of. That everything is all right, including the people that you're around. Let them feel safe and secure around you. This is so, this is so, this is so, uh, this is so good. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't even matter. I can do whatever I want if I do it wholesome. It doesn't matter. It's, it's the way uh -huh. thinking about this doesn't matter anymore. Uh -huh. Exactly. Well, this has been a good talk, guys. I really have enjoyed this. Yeah. Robert, you got any finals before you go? Both Robert. Uh, don't worry, be happy. Don't mm -hmm. worry, be happy. <laughs> don't worry. Really good yeah, everything is safe and secure. There's nothing to worry about. You can just enjoy the moment. Beta, you got a great singing voice. <laughs> Don't worry. Be happy. Yeah. Guys, don't worry. Be happy. We'll see you later. Saru, saru, saru. Thank you. Much love, everybody. Thank you so much. Have some real power. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Bye. Peace out, bro. Cheers. Take care.